Good morning. This is Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. And welcome to another week of primary results as we move through the election season. And once again, it is a intriguing, to say the least, uh, both on the Republican and the Democratic side. A couple, you know, big things this week in a couple of states, actually quite a few states, not quite as exciting as it was in the past weeks, you know, had some of those marquee races, but a couple of things we, we have been learning, but we had primary races, California, Iowa, Mississippi, Montana, New Jersey, New Mexico, and South Dakota. Don't forget about South Dakota. But first and foremost, I think it pays to at least discuss for a second, what will be going on this evening, which is the live primetime hearings of the January 6th commission. Now, a lot of Americans, I think, have kind of tuned this out. And perhaps, I, you know, to some degree, we will have uh, everybody retreat to their corners, to their tribal corners, Democrats to their corner, Republicans to their corner, and leave those who are in the middle, which unfortunately or unfortunately is not too many Americans these days, kind of sitting back and trying to figure out how both parties are just uh, in this continued state of warfare against each other. It's all about beating the other side, as opposed to necessarily getting stuff done for the American people. I will have to, you know, we can leave judgments about that, but that, you know, there definitely is a sentiment out there about that and whether the... Uh, whether what is going on in Washington is actually getting anything done. But, you know, we have the government uh, that we deserve, I guess, in some ways of thinking about it. Not to be too philosophical, but let's talk about the January 6th hearings for a second. I've said this a couple times, and I said this as a Republican. I do think this was a grave strategic error on the part of the Republican Party and particularly Kevin McCarthy and the House Republicans to not participate and not have the deal essentially that they were offered, which was to have a bipartisan commission with Democrats and Republicans where Republicans could be sitting there and, you know, subpoena power, et cetera, instead of kind of this one-sided commission. Now you can dismiss the commission and you could say, well, it's all one-sided. It's all appointed by Nancy Pelosi. It's all a witch hunt, et cetera. But there is uncontrovertible evidence of things that were inappropriate at best and probably possibly illegal at worst going on in attempt to subvert the vote of 2020. And whether or not you believe that Joe Biden won the election, that President Biden won the election, or whether or not you believe that, um, I mean, it, it look, it happened. I know that a lot of people were disappointed to be hearing that, but it did Happen. I don't believe that the vast conspiracy uh, that would have taken thousands of people to participate in, that there is any evidence has been shown. And, you know, take Bill Barr's word for it, a you know, attorney general who was, I think, uh, served the country and the president very well. Uh, take his word for it. There just was no fraud, certainly not on the scale that could overturn the presidential election. And many others within the administration said and felt that way, and we've actually done it. But let's take that aside. Um, there were people who clearly tried to subvert the American government on January 6th. Uh, so much, um, 
actual communications that that was happening. Now, I know there's a tendency to say, well, they're on my team. And since they're on my team, I don't want to criticize them. And so therefore, let's tune it out. Let's tune out any information that will turn anybody against my team. But I don't think that that is a way – there's no reason that you can't take information and take facts and say – and take a step back and say, well, you know, maybe I need to think about who is on my team. And even if they support me, perhaps they don't have the same values that I do. And that's fine. I don't have to have – I don't necessarily have to believe and agree with everybody 100% of the time. And just because they are acting in a way that they're looking for the same results, that doesn't mean the same means are necessary. And that's what I'm kind of coming out with is that just because many of the people on January 6th shared the goal of supporting President Trump and supporting the Republican Party and supporting a lot of things that I want, and I'm you know just metaphorically I – that doesn't mean that I believe that inciting violence and a mob attack on the Capitol where five people died was an appropriate expression of that political will. And I do say that violence is never the answer. If we resort to violence in place of politics and in place of voting, we have gone to a very dark place. And that is what happened. And perhaps we do need a commission like this to shed light on it, and which would be a good idea had the Republicans participated. But now, since they didn't participate, we're going to have essentially a show. And that show will probably show some very unflattering things vis-a-vis Republicans. Now, what the Republicans are extremely lucky about and what Kevin McCarthy is extremely lucky about is the fact that gas prices are at record highs. They continue to be. No matter what they do, the gas prices seem to go up. Prices seem to go up. Everything seems to go up. And Americans are much more concerned about the erosion of their spending power and the erosion of their wealth right now that is happening under the Biden administration, happening under one party Democratic rule than they are about what happened on January 6th, 2021, which in many people's minds, is in the rearview mirror. And so what? What are you doing for me today? Which many people feel is the most important part of politics. And they could have had that. The Republicans could have had that and they could have grandstanded. But uh, alas, the they are not at the table and they won't be there. So let's see you know, what this primetime special brings us. Let's see. We don't know. I mean, exactly what it's going to bring us. We know some drips. Drabs, we know uh, that they literally have hundreds, if not thousands of hours of testimony, thousands of text messages. I mean, the Mark Meadows text messages are just incredible. Uh, it's amazing what to think about what he held back because these are just the texts that he gave them when he was cooperating. And imagine if uh, others had cooperated, uh, Steve Bannon and Peter, and Peter Navarro and others. So we don't know everything. But we will probably know more. And truthfully, engaging, you know, the one thing I think that is most egregious here um, in the many cases is this attempt to submit an alternative slate of electors. It's like it it is essentially willfully filing a a false document um, that is just, you know, false. Um, you know, we can all disagree. We could say, okay, there was fraud and we don't believe that Joe Biden won 
Michigan, for example, but you don't have any evidence to the contrary. You don't actually have any hard evidence to say that he didn't win by 150,000 votes or et cetera. I mean, that's a lot of votes to go, oh, yeah, well, we've the guy with the suitcase in Detroit, et cetera. Okay, prove it, show it, bring it to court. But every time they went to court, it was dismissed. But then to go ahead on top of that to submit a false set of electors to that, I think is a – well, I think that to me that is the most – difficult thing that some of the Republicans are facing. But again, it probably won't matter. I don't think this will matter when it comes to the elections of 2022. I don't think this will come matter when it comes to the midterms because most people are just not interested at this point, or many Americans, or most, certainly most Republicans are not interested at all in hearing about this. Um, and many Americans are really concerned about the economy. And once again, had Joe Biden governed from the center as he kind of campaigned as instead of going ahead and cow- caving to the party's far left wing and trying to be the second coming of FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and you know create this New Deal economy that many Americans don't want. They don't want socialism. They don't want you know AOC, Jamal Bowman, Cory Bush, Ilan Omar, Rashida Tlaib type government. They don't want any of that. Many Americans, I mean, I'm sure some do. They, these people got elected, but many Americans do not want that. Uh, and the other, they probably don't want the extreme on the other side either, Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, et cetera. But they generally fall somewhere in between. And, you know, as we talked about in past weeks about guns and abortion and some of these hot button issues, we know that most Americans' feelings fall somewhere in between, except the legislation and what is generally pushed on the Hill and what generally pushed in Congress is something or generally policies that are on one extreme or another. You know, I know a lot of people talk about New York state and we push it and now they pass more gun laws, more restrictive gun laws to kind of show that they are you know, Kathy Hochul's got to show that she is the you know, chief liberal. Uh, it's amazing that the, the papers continue to say, oh, she's a moderate Democrat. Well, she's a moderate Democrat in relation to AOC or Jumani Williams, who she's running against. But that doesn't make when you moderate, when you go ahead and push that uh, abortion should be legal up until the moment of birth, which I don't even know. It's confusing altogether. But and literally, you know, in a very diverse state with a lot of very rural areas to essentially continue to restrict people's gun rights. And I understand in certain areas of New York, we should have restrictive gun laws or gun gun ownership. We should have some restrictions on that. But at the same time, we need to be respect the fact that not everybody lives in a dense, uh, in a dense urban environment. And I think that that is something that a lot of politicians kind of Forget about they, um, you know, they don't necessarily take that into account, mostly because they live in extremely safe districts where they only care about their right and left flank. And don't take my word for it. Let's let's talk for a second about the maps for 2022 that they're finally finished. New Hampshire, the last state, the last state to finish its redistricting map and their question and. Uh, so, you know, where are we as far as, you know, rankings? And we'll go to Larry Sabato, the Crystal Ball, University of Virginia Institute of Politics, really good analysis 
Uh, Republicans have safe 184 seats. And then he, in the leans and likely Republican column, this is not the toss-up column, the Republicans are 214 with seven seats rated toss-up that are currently held by Republicans. The Democrats, on the other hand, are at 156 safe seats. And if they go to safe, likely, and leans, they're at 193. So we see certainly that a built-in advantage or significant advantage right now for uh, for Republicans when it coming into the midterms. But the interesting t- thing here that I'm finding, if you look at this, is that the number of very, very safe seats and has actually increased. I mean, the number of competitive elections has just decreased tremendously. Um, it's, you know, super safe, if you want to go to that, that he's rating, 127 super safe Democratic seats. That's basically, there's just like no chance of a, of a Republican ever winning those seats. Uh, we know a number of those seats here in New York. Um, the super safe Republican districts, that's where Joe Biden won 40% or less, goes from 112 in the old you know congressional maps to 131. So Republicans added 20 plus. Um, and that was really in Texas was the main that they fo- focused on taking Republican seats that were competitive and making them very, uh, making very few that were competitive. The number of seats in Texas where Biden received 40% or less went from 11 to 20 in Texas alone. So, but that's, I mean, that's quite amazing that they doubled up on the number of seats. And, you know, what this means is that there will be more pressure on Republicans to go further to the right. And in many cases, more pressure on the Democrats to go further to the left. You know, if you look at um, seats overall, where, they were kind of right in the middle, okay, that, you know, where anywhere from, let's say, 45 to 55% on the presidential basis, okay, those those number of seats went uh, down uh, by about 10. So it's like the most competitive districts that are right in the middle. So it's really, it's really something that as we see, you know, we, many Americans have, you know, want Washington to do something when Americans want Washington to get stuff done. Uh, yet our political environment becomes more and more highly charged after uh, year after year. And most of that because of redistricting and the fact that many Americans now live in areas where not just people who look and think like that, well, who not just look like them, but also who think like them at the same times. Diversity is very much out the window in many congressional districts. Now, the suburbs are still important. The suburbs are still changing and they had changed and they had gone, swung um, towards Republicans and then swore towards Democrats during the Trump years and now seemingly swinging back towards Republicans uh, on pocketbook issues and many other issues, probably not as much on the social issues, but the suburbs are continued to be the battleground for the 2022 and eventually the 2024 elections. 
So let's take a deep dive into some of the results that we have from Tuesday. Uh, let's start with California. Uh, the big one, I think, is the actually the San Francisco district attorney recall election, where you had uh, the district attorney, Chesa Budin, a far left district attorney reformer. Uh, it is the feeling, of course, that San Francisco is out of control with regard to crime, with regard to homelessness, with regard to lack of prosecution. Stores were fleeing San Francisco because people would shoplift, they would smash, they would grab, they would just walk out unhindered and they were unprosecuted. And the police were powerless to stop anybody because once they got arrested, they got out the door. Does that sound familiar to anybody from here from New York? And, you know, this was this approach. Oh, well, we don't want to put people in jail. We want to offer them other things. This is one of those reformers. Well, definitely bounced out in this is San Francisco. I mean, think about it. The most liberal city in the United States, more liberal than New York. Okay, the yes votes for a recall, 74,335, and the no votes under 50,000. So incredible when you think about it. Actually, that's sorry, that's only with uh, 50% reported because the California takes a while to tabulate the, um, but that's a 60-40 margin. But California takes a while to tabulate their paper ballots, but no question that this was a huge repudiation for those on the far, far left that this uh, that this district attorney represents, and it might you have a similar result in where the crime issue became first and foremost in also liberal Los Angeles, and that mayoral race, Karen Bass uh, against um, um, well, uh, sorry about that. Um, where are we on that one? <laughs> the latest. Well, they have uh, a. The, the top vote getter is Rick Caruso, a former Republican who just became a Democrat for this race, uh, leading the race uh, 42 to 37. There'll obviously be a runoff in that in that one. Uh, Karen Bass, a prominent congresswoman, was a considered for vice president, and she was unable to come in first place in Los Angeles. A former Republican comes in ahead of her. Let's also take a look at some uh, congressional races. David Valadeo was a Republican who went against um, who went against uh, President Trump and voted for impeachment. He's in the Central Valley of California, and amazingly, uh, Trump did not do on him the same that he did to others and try and run them out of office. Anthony Gonzalez and Adam Kinzinger and others, you know, put up uh, uh, significant, but he did have an opponent. Uh, Chris Matthews, um, and again, jungle primary in California. That means ever, all candidates go in regardless of party affiliation. The top two vote getters, if there's no person who gets the majority, the top two vote getters advance to the general election. doesn't matter if they're Republican or Democrat. So the Democrat came in first in this 22nd district. Um, and David Aldeo is ahead by, uh, uh, you know, uh, this is not, again, California, pretty slow. David Aldeo is ahead of Chris Matthews, so it looks like he will advance to the runoff in in this. Um, a similar type of situation, Young Kim, also not a Trump, was also challenged by a – who was a in Orange County, a Korean-American woman. Uh, moderate was also challenged from the right by a Trump acolyte, Greg Raths. Um, looks like she will win and advance to the runoff against the Democrat there in that district. Uh, but there was some concern, certainly amongst the congressional leadership, that she would lose. And they actually put some money into that primary in order to shore her up. Um, Montana, 
very, very interesting in the congressional seat. Montana was became uh, a, a, a state that had one congressional seat, went to two because of population growth. A lot of people want to live in Montana, particularly uh, refugees from California. And the interesting thing is the former congressman who was Interior Secretary, Ryan Zinke, uh, and uh, Ryan Zinke, former Navy SEAL, rode a horse to his uh, swearing in of the as Interior Secretary, uh, colorful guy, and is really barely, barely ahead of the other Republican, Al Osevsky. Um, Ryan Zinke was heavily criticized for actually living in California, was still trying to run in Montana. Obviously, Montana is very protective of that. Despite Zinke having the Trump endorsement, uh, we will see. We don't know who's going to actually – I mean, Zinke has a slight lead of about of, of less than uh, 1,000 votes or about 1,000 votes. So we will see where that one shakes out. Um, and then to New Jersey, where we have Tom Kane Jr. also had a, a challenge from the right, uh, seemed to have fended it off quite well. Um, and is way up on his opponents who came to him. Uh, and, you know, this wasn't situations where Trump actually endorsed anybody, but this was a situation where, you know, there was the MAGA crowd going after him in that. And there was a primary also, and we see the, um, um, we see the, also in the Lakewood area, uh, longtime congressman, uh, Chris Smith, who, uh, Certainly had some moderate tendencies, and I, I believe that you know the the MAGA crowd tried to primary him. Um, he won handily by about twenty points. Um, we also saw an interesting phenomenon, obviously on the micro Orthodox level, where many Orthodox Lakewood residents ran for Republican county committee seats in both Jackson and Tom's River, and they were victorious over some. Um, elected officials who had been and other county Republican County committee people who had been antagonistic towards the firm community. So if you get involved, you know, you actually can accomplish things and get things uh, done. So we see politics is a, not just a spectator sport, but a participatory sport in order to do that. So these are like a little bit of a snapshot where we don't have any big things. I mean, I'd say South Dakota, okay, was that big? I mean, Christy Nome won. Obviously, she had a challenge from the right. Obviously, Trump backed. You know, we'll see. Is she vice presidential material? But, you know, the one thing I guess to consider is that John Thune coasted to reelection, uh, despite the fact that uh, back in 2020, uh, 2021, I said something like that, you know, when it became time to when the Electoral College, uh, John Thune famously dismissed any challenge to January 6th as going down like a shot dog and to which President Trump said that he will have a primary and he will lose. Thune almost didn't run um, in order to do that, but he, I guess, was convinced to come back into the fray and, you know, had no problem whatsoever. I think the the thing for the MAGA crowd is that they're not they have been successful in open primaries because they have that kind of 30 percent floor. But when it comes to ousting incumbents like Brian Kemp, um, like uh, Governor Little in um, in Idaho, you know, some of these are kind of a hill too high for them. I mean, we will see. You know, we still have Wyoming to go in uh, Alaska, Lisa Murkowski and Liz Cheney in Wyoming. You know, those are some very, very big ones. But we will see 
uh, where that, how that transpires. And the last thing I just want to talk about, I know I've picked on this guy a little bit and I'm kind of enjoying picking on him is uh, Representative Andy Levin from, uh, where is Levin? Levin from Michigan. You know, that, that primary that he is involved with, uh, which again, Haley Stevens and um, Levin, I, I talked about his kind of hypocrisy last week when it comes to um, when it comes to uh, he criticized uh, Stevens basically for taking pro-Israel money and corporate money and you know those that had taken had also supported the insurrectionists but I think that you know somehow at the same time he was also taking money from similar sources and now apparently he in a campaign ad he is he was using John Lewis um, uh, the legendary civil rights leader and former congressman John Lewis, who passed away two years ago, is using his image, kind of implying that John Lewis was supporting him, and a number of uh, his colleagues in Congress were objecting to that. It's it's just you know I I don't know I, I there's something about I and I'm putting something about these far left politicians who kind of they claim to be righteous and i think that that's going to kind of the the thing i'm looking for they claim to be the righteous and at the same time however they seem to be well le- a little less than righteous put it that way they seem to be a little less than forthright when it comes to um that they you know they they want to talk about how you know other people shouldn't do this and shouldn't do this but at the same time sometimes they get caught you know stretching the truth on their own don't take that don't do that i'm I, I'm a purist and somehow they're not so pure. Um, you know, I'm, I don't know. It's just something about, you know, him as a constantly cloaking his Jewishness in the fact that he is liberal progressive and, you know, he's pro-Israel, but I support Rashida Tlaib at the same time. It's kind of odd, you know, that you would defend Rashida Tlaib and be pro-Israel at the same time. Rashida Tlaib, who actually favors BDS and favors the elimination of the state of Israel. So... I don't know. It's it's something that sticks in my gut here, and I'm going to continue talking about this guy until hopefully we're rid of him. That's it for this week here on Spin Class, here on the Knockham Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks. Allison Joseph, see you next week.